Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast. I am your host, Dan Viennes. Just thought I'd hop on today. This would be a rather short episode. Just some midweek thoughts as we head into what feels like judgment time for the Seahawks as they get set to host the Atlanta Falcons at Lumen Field this Sunday at 125. We've seen them look good. We've seen them look bad. I'll have a full preview of the Falcons and Seahawks Saturday with a little bit of perspective from the Falcons side of things as well. But it kind of feels like we're going to we're going to know and I suppose you could say this about any week this year, but we're going to know a lot more about who this team is come this week. They looked great in the first half against the Broncos, held on, made some big plays in the second half, but the offense stalled. We know that. And they get a win. They look absolutely terrible from kickoff to gun against the Niners. Offense can't get out of their own way, can't get going at all. Defense gives up big chunk plays. Really, we're never in that ballgame. Made some poor coaching decisions. The the red zone sequence with the uh, trick play from the running backs was a total failure. Pete Carroll coming out this week saying some interesting things. Some downright bizarre things, really, about how they need to open things up with Geno Smith. When the presumption was that Geno Smith won the quarterback job because he was the most careful operator of the offense. So now they they come home, they play an 0-2 Falcons team, but a team that's looked good at times. and The offense has scored over 20 points in both their losses. So I think we're going to find out how this team bounces back how they deal with adversity. And we'll see. Young team. This is kind of when Pete Carroll's at his best sometimes. Teams counted out. We're going to find out. If they come home and look terrible this week and lose to the Falcons at home, then we might be talking about, okay, what's the draft look like next year, right? And that's what I want to touch on today. And I've been, I've been having thoughts. First of all, we know it's all about the quarterback, right? Let's just get this out of the way. There are some fans who do not understand what's happening, and there are some fans who do, and that's what we're going to focus on today. But specifically, the ones who don't understand, the ones who are ready to fire Pete Carroll, fire John Schneider right now because of the way they constructed this roster, the ones who say, They thought Geno Smith was the answer after trading away a Hall of Fame quarterback. They should all be fired for that. Those are the ones that really aren't part of this discussion because they just don't get it, right? Those who do understand that the goal was, and Dana and I talked about it a couple weeks ago on this show with Brandon, that it's very reminiscent of 2011. Let's construct a roster of young talent create a situation where we can go out next year and get a quarterback. And for those naysayers who say, well, how can we trust this front office to get the right quarterback because they've proven over the last five, six years they don't draft very well. That's a debate for another day. We can dive into that a little deeper. And I have some thoughts as to whether we can do that during the bye week, perhaps. We'll get kind of a mid-year assessment of Last year's draft class, and we'll kind of compare it and and see how things are trending. 
And I get all that. I get the trepidation. I get drafting quarterbacks is always a crapshoot. Always, always, always. And I haven't always been good at it. I've had some hits. I've had some misses. One of my favorite hits ever. And I can verify this for you. <laughs> I could have my dad on the show to tell you that when I saw John Kitna play in the NAIA semifinals his senior year at Central, I called my dad after that game and said, the Seahawks need to find a way to get this kid. He's probably not going to be drafted. They need to sign him as a free agent. Then when they signed him as a free agent that offseason, I called my dad that night too, and I said, Dad, this guy's going to be the starting quarterback of the Seahawks within three years. I just saw something in him. And I've had other times along the way where I've been right about guys. But I've been wrong too. I thought Ryan Leaf was going to be a better NFL quarterback than Peyton Manning. Thought he had more upside, had a better arm. Granted, I was biased. I went to Washington State. I watched that season where he led us to the Rose Bowl. Maybe one of the best quarterback seasons I've ever seen out of anybody. I mean, I always made the argument that year that, that every single throw Ryan Leaf made that entire season was the right throw to the right spot at the right time, the right read. Man, he was good. But he just didn't have the maturity. We know that now. It's well documented to, to succeed in the NFL. And then when he started to figure out figure it out, he got hurt. But we're going to talk a lot about the quarterbacks. And as this season goes on, I want to continue to construct and tweak my top five. So we're going to do that today. I'm going to do that in a little bit. I'm going to give you my initial early season. Most college football programs have played three games. So like, let's call it kind of the quarter pole. I'm going to give you my initial top five favorite quarterback prospects for the Seahawks. And I'm going to have some guys on later this year to get their viewpoints. Also, we'll bounce some things off each other, get some outside viewpoints of, of get some guys on here who watch a lot of tape, watch a lot of these quarterbacks. And just a quick note, first of all, before we get to that, for those of you who are nervous, who criticized the organization for not drafting a quarterback this year, for going with Geno Smith, for thinking Drew Locke was going to be, quote-unquote, the answer. That's what someone told me yesterday. And are, and are afraid that, that this plan doesn't make sense to them because who's to say they're going to find the guy next year, right? Let me just remind you and preface this by saying, if you don't watch college football much, if you're just an NFL person, Watch some college football this year. Do a little Google search. Search for top 2023 NFL quarterback prospects. And what you're going to find is universally right now, a lot of people who do this thing for a living, who analyze draft prospects, who rank prospects, who write scouting reports, who forecast future drafts, agree that this might be a bounty crop of quarterback prospects unlike anything we've seen in a long time. Then on any given day, when you look at some mock drafts, there are seven or eight different guys that get talked about as first-round prospects. And then there's a nice little group of like 10 more who are trending upwards or could trend upwards. This is, you know, we had one quarterback drafted in the first round last year. And, and then a lot of the guys that were talked about as first round picks, Malik Willis and 
Desmond Ritter, guys like that, guys that we thought the Seahawks might target, didn't go until the third round, fourth round, fifth round. Sam Howell. Uh, we're talking about five. I would put the over under this year on five in the first round, and I would take the over. I think there's five or six teams that are looking for their next franchise quarterback, and there's five or six guys that look to have first-round value. And remember, anytime a guy's borderline, like a team might have him with a second-round grade, but it's close, that guy might tend to go in the first round because teams want that fifth-year option available to them, right? So I'm going to give you that list, my initial early season top five favorite quarterbacks from what I've seen so far. But before we get there, I want to focus again on the plan. Something happened this week. Something just kind of organically happened that prompted this episode. I tweeted something earlier this week. And I've been on Twitter since 2011. Um, I have, it doesn't show you anymore what your total number of tweets, does it? No, it doesn't. I would love to know that. But I joined in January of 2011. Been on Twitter a long time. I've tweeted, oh, here it is. 55,600 tweets in my lifetime. God dang. (laughs) Oh, I'm such a productive human being, aren't I? 55,600 tweets. I should break that down on what it is per day. Um, Maybe I don't want to. It's like I don't turn on the screen time feature on my iPhone because I don't want to know. (laughs) Um, I have never had a tweet blow up the way this tweet two days ago did. Uh, 1,400 likes so far. Um 68 retweets and almost 80 comments. So I woke up yesterday morning and I don't know about you. I have some OCD qualities and one of them is I cannot stand red numbers on my iPhone. I can't stand the unread notifications. I wake up in the morning. The first thing I do is check my email and just delete all the spam stuff that's unnecessary because I can't stand that red number on there. Right? So I didn't used to have notifications turned on for Twitter, but now I do. It's it's the main way that that the editorial staff and the other writers and Dana and I and, and Mookie, that, that we communicate on field goals. We use Twitter messaging. So I have notifications on. And so I woke up to 30 notifications yesterday morning or the morning before. And it's kind of continued since then. And I love it. I, I love Twitter for the interaction. And sometimes I'm frustrated that I don't get more interaction. So please, if you're listening to this, if you enjoy the show so far, first of all, subscribe to the show, like, review. It really helps us. If you write a review for the show, it helps in the algorithm that that garners us better placement on those podcast apps. So if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. Then you get notifications anytime there's a new episode. You won't miss anything. And also helps out the podcast and, you know, make me happy. Um, meanwhile, this tweet. Here's, here's what I wrote. The Seahawks going 1-16 with their only win being against Russ and thus gaining the number one overall pick to select his replacement in the process would be the ultimate troll job, no? 
I didn't think it would go anywhere. It's just what I was feeling in the moment coming off that Niner win, thinking about it a little bit more thinking, you know what? Uh, maybe that week one first half was a little bit of a mirage because of our familiarity with Russ and, and maybe him being o- more overwhelmed by the moment than he would ever admit. Maybe the, the youth on this team is going to just make it really hard for them to compete some weeks. They're going to have clunkers like this. And the fact that they have a guy playing quarterback that isn't really capable of making plays on a consistent basis, it's not what he is. It's not how he's built. And their reluctance to give Drew Locke a chance to do that. It's not, maybe, maybe you know what? You look around the league. If you're like me and you watch Red Zone anytime the Seahawks aren't on, you get a little bit of a view of everyone in the league. Every single roster in this damn league is talented. Every single one. You know, the days of the the 0-17 or the, you know, 17 games out, 0-17 or 1-16 teams getting the first overall pick. You know, I joke the Seahawks going 1-16. But listen, there's there's a chance that the, the team with the number one pick in the draft this year has five wins, six wins. I mean, that's what parity's like, and that's what the talent level is like in this league. So it just got me thinking, you know, maybe they will get a top three pick because Dana and I talked on this show a couple of weeks ago about how, gosh, we would love to have the highest pick possible so that we could have our choice of which quarterback to take. I just talked about the depth and the talent in this class, and I'll give you some names here in a minute, but you'd like to have a choice, right? Maybe the second or third guy turns out to be the best one in the draft. Maybe you end up with Justin Herbert instead of Tua Tonga-Vioa, right? But you'd like to be the team in control. And so (laughs) the higher the pick, the better, right? Not to mention what might be happening in Denver. And that's something we're going to track this year. And that'll be cause for an episode during the bye week as well. And so I got a lot of response to this. And here's why I wanted to bring it to you. Because I was surprised, pleasantly so, with how much, how many, how how many, how much, <laughs> I just tried to combine a couple of words there. How much of the fan base is in favor of what's happening with this rebuild? And here's what I mean by that. I went through every single reply to this tweet and of the 80 or so I ended up throwing six or seven out because they really didn't indicate whether that person sided one way or the other. They were just making a comment, but I was able to, to parse out 74 total responses that, that, that addressed the issue directly. And I put it in three categories. In favor of tanking, and I use the word tanking mildly, let's say in favor of the Seahawks finishing with the worst record possible. And just so you understand, let me preface this by saying that I understand one of the ways to look at this, and I did get a couple of comments that leaned in this direction is, man, if they go 1-16, there's bigger problems than just quarterback. They're going to be years away. Carroll's probably not going to be there to see it through. That's a whole nother discussion. I disagree with that, but I get that line of thinking. But my point is, it is, I would have thought, if you had asked me 
How many fans, real diehard people that consider themselves diehard Seahawks fans, can are in favor of this plan? You traded Russell. Now you're going to draft a quarterback next year. You understand there's a reason they didn't go out and spend significant money or draft capital to acquire a quarterback to win now. There's a reason they're looking towards 2023. That is part of the plan. How do you feel about that? I would have said at best 50-50. But here's what I got. And this is not a bad, as far as Twitter goes, this is not a bad sample size. You know, usually I send a tweet out like this, I get like three or four comments. Well, obviously that's not enough of a sample size to really make an assessment. But here's what I got. 74 total responses. 12 of them were indifferent. So 16%. 15 were clearly against the idea of tanking. Wanted to win as many games this year as possible, no matter what it cost you as far as draft standing or draft position, because you play to win the game and they want to see their team win. So do a little math in your head. You can figure out what's left over. 47 of the 74, 64%. A clear nearly two-thirds were in favor of this. I mean, here's some of the things that people said. That's what I'm shooting for. I wouldn't mind beating San Francisco for two and 15, but I'm good with one and 16 to go with Denver's seven and 10. That's from at T chambers, 24. I would love it at soulful one, the perfect season at John Sand Sadler, 17. Plus the Broncos go two and 15. Imagine the draft power at old Willie boy. It's low-key my preferred narrative at Establish the Pun. Outstanding Twitter handle, by the way. We can only hope. Winning is irrelevant compared to the value of young players gaining experience. That's at 3ERT0. Chess, not checkers. At R underscore MCJIM. Jim. Uh, I don't care what you call it, but if we end up with the top two picks as a result of the situation, that would be the ultimate gratification for this season at Seahawk Pyro. Only thing better is if the Broncos go one in 16, the Hawks get the first two picks in the draft at Batesman Crons. I was hoping for three and 14 with two wins against the Niners, but I'll take one in 16 now, 100% at Joe Milo, J O M I L O 86. There's a lot. There's, there's a lot more of this. Ultimate, at Aloha Styles eighty nine. Sounds like a good plan to me. At Max Prime. Much better than going six and eleven. At L Winthorpe the third. I'll take it. At Max Myers four. There's a lot more like that. There's forty seven responses like that. I was I was just really shocked by that and surprised. Um. So that leads me to which quarterbacks are out there, right? Just talked about how good the class looks. So here's my top five. And granted, I've watched, 
I've watched highlights and cutups, but I've watched full games of at least, I've watched at least one full game that I've recorded and watched the entire game, every snap, good and bad, of all five of these. And then I've watched high t- highlights on YouTube as well. So we're going to go five to one. Number five, my, and, and, and granted, this isn't necessarily my list of who I think the five best quarterbacks are in college football right now. It's my wish list. It's my ranking of preferred Seahawk quarterback targets. Let's call them that. And I'll also preface it by saying, which you'll hear about in just a moment, in regards to one of the prospects, these guys aren't finished products yet. Some of them are going to look a lot better or worse nine games from now than they do now, and they'll move up or down or off this list. And then there are other guys that scouts are going to look at a little differently. Some of these guys might be polished products, capable of starting day one in the NFL. Some aren't. One in particular, you're going to want to bridge quarterback and let the guy develop. So here we go. Number five, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami. He's probably the least known name on this list. But check him out if you get a chance. 6'4", 224 pounds. He is a sophomore at the University of Miami. He came in last year as a freshman, relieved uh, the starting quarterback early in the season. 10 games as a freshman last year. 62% completion percentage. Uh, That's among the lowest on this list. 2,931 yards, 25 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio. This year, in three games, 63% completions, 7.8 yards per attempt, 3 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. Now, that doesn't sound very dynamic, does it? Here's the thing about Van Dyke. First of all, watch him. Of these quarterbacks, except maybe the guy at number one, He might be the most mechanically sound. He's athletic for his size. His footwork is outstanding. His mechanics are outstanding. And and of all these guys, maybe he might be as good as any of them at knowing when to unleash the full power of his arm talent and when to put some touch on the ball. Throws a great seam route. Throws a great deep ball, throws a beautiful ball, really quick release, can throw the ball to all, can make all the throws. You're going to hear that term, right? To all areas of the field. Here's the problem. Miami hired Mario Cristobal this year. And the offense that he's in favor of running isn't exactly quarterback friendly. It's not the kind of offense that's going to allow a guy to put up a bunch of points. It's a lot of throws to the backs and short and taking what the defense gives you taking shots here and there. It's the exact offense when Cristobal was at Oregon that kind of held Justin Herbert back and caused people to overlook and underrate Herbert. And you see how good Herbert's been in the pros. There are some physical similarities between Van Dyke and Herbert. Not quite as tall. I think Herbert's 6'6", isn't he? Um, But Tyler Van Dyke, keep an eye on him. He may be a guy also that whose value might be a little bit lower and he might kind of slide under the radar a little bit because he's not going to put up the eye-popping statistics. However, NFL scouts don't care about that. They're going to project a guy based on what they see and what they think he can do. Tyler Van Dyke is a really exciting quarterback. Let me put it this way. If the Seahawks do 
put things together, win seven or eight games. The Broncos win 15, 16 games. And the Seahawks end up picking 15th and 29th. Tyler Van Dyke is a guy that would be a really great, potentially a great consolation prize. If you end up not drafting as high as you'd like, or you, you're not willing to spend the draft capital it would take to move up and get another guy. Number four, and this is going to be the biggest lightning rod on the list. And I've already gotten some feedback because I posted a list similar to this about a week ago and immediately got some pushback on this. Anthony Richardson, Florida, 6'4", 236 pounds. I know, I get it. He looked great week one. Ah, who was the opponent? Ah, that... No, I can't even, I don't have it in front of me. Um, looked outstanding week one. He's really struggled the last couple of weeks against lesser competition. Only 53% completions, 423 yards, zero touchdown passes, and four interceptions. He has been very effective running the football, averaging 5.6 yards per rush and three rushing touchdowns, including the game winner in week one. The thing about Anthony Richardson, when you watch him, you see upside. He's been compared to Cam Newton. He's 6'4", 236, and he runs, He, I'm guessing he's at minimum a 4'5 guy, maybe a 4'4'5. Powerful runner, fast, elusive, has a hose. The best arm on this list. Absolutely. The best arm on this list. Better than the guy at number two, better than the guy at number one. Can just gun it. Can he throw with touch? We haven't really seen a lot of that. He's been inaccurate. In in week one, I saw some processing. I saw him coming off his main read. I saw him scanning the field. That's going to be a question. He only played 60 snaps as a freshman. So he's still young, inexperienced, and there's no guarantee that he'll come out in 2023. And very, very, it's very possible, unless he takes a massive leap in the next nine games, um, or at least puts him in the position where he's in the first-round discussion, where he gets a first-round projected grade from the NFL, where he thinks there's a chance a team might take him near the end of the round or even in the second, and he can develop. He might be a guy that might wait another year. But he might have as much pure, raw talent as anyone else in the draft. And the other thing that excites me about this guy, and probably the reason he's on the list, the tiebreaker for me, is everyone who knows this kid, has been around him, has covered him, raves, absolutely raves about his makeup, his personality, his work ethic. He's one of those guys you want to have in your locker room. So keep your eye on Anthony Richardson. If he continues to struggle, then he's going to drop off this list and, again, might return to school in 23. But my goodness, this is a guy that if he does, if he does go back to school next year and put it all together, uh, we may be talking about as the number one pick in the draft. Number three, and this may surprise some people, but my number three quarterback is Bryce Young, Alabama, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Part of it's the height, and, and maybe some of that's recency bias too. If you're, you know, as Seahawks fans, I've talked to other people who feel the same way. It's like, can we just have a, a bigger quarterback? Can we just have a guy who's 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", please? Can see over the middle of the field. Uh, Bryce Young is, they list him at six foot. Most people think he's a shade under that. But, you know, the number of quarterbacks now in the NFL and playing, succeeding in college football, they're six foot or less. It's becoming more commonplace. But there's no question about this guy's arm talent, 
his ability to spin it, throw to all levels of the field, uh, touch passes, uh, great deep ball, um, leader. He's mobile. Uh, doesn't run the football as much as you would think. Uh, some numbers last year in winning the Heisman, 67% completions, almost 5,000 yards passing, a 47 to 7 touchdown interception ratio. This year, 68% completions. Uh, his yards per attempt are down this year, 7.6. Last year, it was nearly nine. That might be explained, you know, he's, he's lost so much wide receiver talent there, right? How many Alabama receivers have been drafted in the first round in the last couple of years? Um, and his touchdown to interception ratio, nine to two. He did lead, was it against Texas in week one? Um, kind of pulled that game out at the end with a big time drive that reminded people of Russell Wilson, made some plays improvisationally, but he can also play on schedule. Um, make no mistake, because I know some people will think this, he's number three on my list. And so some of you might think, why don't you like Bryce Young? I really like Bryce Young. If Bryce Young was the next quarterback draft pick of the Seahawks, I would be ecstatic and think that the rebuild is in very good hands. And of all the guys on the list, he could be the Seahawks' favorite. He could be the best fit. I can see him appealing to Schneider and Carroll. I can see them seeing Russell in him. Except maybe without the weirdness. Number two on my list, Will Levis from Kentucky. This guy was a fast riser over the offseason coming into this year. 6'3", 222 pounds. Some people have compared him to Josh Allen in terms of just his pure physical athleticism and arm strength and kind of his demeanor and his personality. Uh, if you may have seen something a couple weeks ago, he's, he's the kid who made some kind of went viral with uh, the fact that he likes to put butter in his coffee. Um, 2021, 66% completions. Here's the catch. 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. To go along with 376 yards on the ground and nine rushing touchdowns. This year, 67% completions. His yards per attempt is up to 9.7. But again, six touchdowns, four interceptions. Somebody challenged me on Twitter when I posted a list a week ago and said, Levis is not a Seahawks guy, throws too many picks. And that person could be right. It all comes down to scouting. What's the level of competition? What are his receivers look like? Where'd those interceptions come from? Is he forcing the ball into double coverage on bad reads? Or did a guy run a bad route? Is there some bad luck? Do they think it's something that can be coached out of him? Because he has all the other intangibles, man. Will Levis, I saw him make a throw this last week where he was kind of moving to his left, turned, threw the ball off his back foot with kind of a across-the-body flick of the arm 25 yards downfield on the line. The perfect placement. Of all these guys, Will Levis might be the most exciting. But is he a little too much like Drew Locke? Can you coach those interceptions out of him? I think the last nine games of this season will show a lot. If he can cut down on those interceptions, you know, last year he's 24-13, he's already off to a 6-4 and four start. If he can get, keep those picks under 10 for the rest of the year while still going downfield and making plays and moving the football, Will Levis is a guy to get excited about. Again, he might not be the best fit, but man, I like him. 
And you've probably figured out, if you know anything about college football, who my number one is. And this, this has changed for me in the last couple of weeks. I wasn't a huge C.J. Stroud fan coming out of last year, regardless of the performance he had in the Rose Bowl. He had so much elite wide receiver talent all over the field. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. So many weapons. And then there is the stigma of Ohio State quarterbacks not succeeding in the NFL, not living up to expectations. But what I said to somebody on Twitter the other day who knocked me for this, ah, CJ Stroud will never make it because Ohio State quarterbacks haven't. That's not how life works. <laughs> it's just not. Justin Fields not looking good so far in his NFL career has absolutely nothing to do with whether C.J. Stroud will, will succeed. The reason I wasn't that high on him coming out of last year is when I looked at highlights, I just, I didn't love, didn't love the, uh, oh, see, they're, this, they disagree with me. They're coming to get me. If you can hear the siren in the background. Um, didn't love the footwork, didn't love the mechanics. And kind of thought he was just getting by because he played on a superior team and had weapons all around him and a great offensive line. But he did some work. This kid did some work in the offseason. First of all, Stroud, 6'3", 215 pounds. Uh, his numbers in 2021. Um, I'd have to go back and see what the Heisman voting was, but man, it had to be close. 72% completion percentage. That's crazy. 72% completions, 400... 4,433 yards, 10.1 yards per attempt. He's throwing the ball downfield. He's not getting by on dump offs. 44 touchdowns, six interceptions. This year so far, 73% completion percentage. His yards per attempt has actually gone up. It's 11.1. And he's thrown 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions. What's interesting about Stroud is... For a guy who looks like he can move and has some athleticism, does not run the ball. Only 32 rushing attempts last year, only three this year. This, this guy is intent to stand in the pocket and deliver, and man, can he. His throwing mechanics are outstanding. He's got a beautiful release, throws a great ball, throws with touch, throws with power, can throw the deep ball, seems to go through his progressions really well. Uh, his Best games last year were against some pretty good defenses. He's not thriving against lesser competition. He threw six touchdowns, no interceptions against Michigan State. And then we watched, we all watched what he did in the Rose Bowl against that Utah defense. So CJ Stroud is probably going to be the first quarterback taken in this year's draft. Whether or not the Seahawks will have an opportunity to get him. Obviously, depends on what draft pick they end up with and maybe how willing they are to move up. So that's my list. Just to recap, number five, Tyler Van Dyke, Miami. Number four, Anthony Richardson, Florida. Number three, Bryce Young, Alabama, last year's Heisman winner. Number two, Will Levis, Kentucky. Number one, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State. Keep an eye on these guys. If you haven't watched them, watch some tape. Check the schedule on Saturdays. Watch them play if you can. Uh, oh, that, that week one, now I remember, it was, um, uh, or no, there was week two where Levis actually played against Richardson and outplayed him by, by a long shot. Um, this is a fun group, and there's other guys after him. And, uh, you know, maybe the next week or two, I'll do like my second five, right? We'll go like six through 10. 
I had some great suggestions. In fact, um, I need to watch some more of the local kid. I need to watch more of Michael Penix Jr., uh, who's lighting it up for the U- for the University of Washington, the transfer from Indiana, who just had the worst injury luck ever at Indiana. But he uh, came here as a transfer to, to reunite with Kalen DeBoer, who was his offensive coordinator for a year in Indiana. And when he got the head coaching job here, he he got a hold of Penix. And he's just been, a, he's been lights out. But the Huskies now ranked in the top 25 after the, the, the crushed Michigan State here at home. Husky football uh, appears to be back. That that appears to be a really good hire for them. Uh, need to watch more of him. Tanner McKee uh, out of Stanford. Caleb Williams from USC. Um, and then there's some smaller guys that are really intriguing too, just to throw some other names out there. Taylor Gabriel out of Oklahoma. I was talking to somebody about this the other day on, on Twitter, and he said he, he, he might be the most Russell Wilson-like player in the country. Uh, barely six foot, plays for Oklahoma, but just an outstanding playmaker, mobile um, really good arm. Um, he could be an intriguing guy later on. Uh, Stetson Bennett from Georgia is, is interesting. Uh, Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. I've liked when I've watched him live uh, in the past. Um, there's some other guys out there for sure. Uh, that's going to do it for today. It was fun talking quarterbacks. We're going to do a lot more of that. And as we get uh, deeper into the season, we're going to start talking about other positions in regards to uh, the draft. We'll start doing mock drafts. If you've, if you never listened to my uh, earlier show, the Emerald city Sportscast, um, uh, just know that I am a draft nerd, not an expert, but a nerd. And I will do a thousand mock drafts. I just did one this morning. <laughs> I traded down a little bit, got the Seahawks a haul um, spoiler alert, got, uh, Will Anderson at six and got Tyler Van Dyke, uh, later in the first round loaded up on defense as well. So that was fun. We'll do a lot more of that. Um, cause I love this stuff, but anyway, look, look into these names. Also follow me on Twitter at Seahawks forever. Just let me know what you think. Do you agree? Disagree? You got some other names you want to throw at me guys I'm missing. Uh, check it out. In the meantime, uh, look for the preview of the Falcons to come up Saturday. Uh, we'll get you ready for that game uh, with a little bit of perspective from the other side with someone who covers the team. Um, until then, again, like, subscribe, review the show on whatever podcast platform you listen and follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Until next time, we'll talk to you in a couple of days. Thanks for listening to the Field Goals Podcast. <laughs>